Welcome to the FN Football Podcast, a show where two newbies talk football, females, feminism and other F words. This month is LGBT plus history month, but we're going to add a few more letters. So LGBTIQA plus because we're all about inclusion. So this month is a special episode. Amelia, do you know why LGBT plus history is celebrated in February? No, I don't. Why is it celebrated in February? Well, fun fact or not so fun fact, just a fact really. So, you know, Section 28 that came about in 1988, which basically big piece of legislation that banned schools, people in schools from teaching children about other relationships apart from heteronormative relationships. They, They banned it. And the first repeal came about on the 7th February in 2000. So that's why we celebrate it in February. Because although that repeal didn't wasn't successful, it was the first stepping stone to the rights we have now. So when did it get repealed? So it was in June 2000 for the Scots and Scottish, a bit more... A bit more forward thinking than our single They always thought. are the Scottish. <laughs> Is that why you're living in Scotland now? Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and uh, in England, it wasn't until September 2003 that it was finally taken off the statute books. However, Ken County Council, my council. Oh, God, what have they done now? <laughs> they kept, they kept, they had their own version of Section 28, which they kept in schools, which they didn't get rid of to, until 2004. And from 2010, we have the... Equality Act. So that is literally what we're talking about this episode, LGBT+. Um, what's it like in the women's game? What's it also like in the men's game? We're also going to look at the trans experience in football. We're going to be talking about our own experiences. We've also got a nice little bit of a juicy quote from Hope Powell, which we got when we interviewed her way back in October. So we've been saving that one for you. But yeah, so hold on tight and join yeah. us. <laughs> So in our last episode, I talked about some LGBT football history moments in both men and women's football history. And so if you haven't listened, go and have a look because, yeah, but that's some really key moments. But this episode, we wanted to focus a bit more on our personal experiences playing football and being gay. So let's get into that. So Amelia... We play football in London where we did pre-coronavirus and we both felt it was like an incredibly safe, welcoming, inclusive, diverse space. But I think we both got a lot out from it because there was other gay people there and we felt like included and and it, it, it was nice to see other gay women going through similar experiences to yourselves. Like even if it's just normal stuff, like having a having a partner or um you know what one couple in our football group got married and had a baby like just yeah that representation was 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 so nice and I'd never joined football because I wanted to meet a group of gay girls I literally joined football because I love football and a, a bonus of that came along a group of girls who were who love football as well but also um were searching for their lesbian friends too. <laughs> Why are we here? To play football and meet lesbians. 
literally. But no, when I joined football, I couldn't believe it. I didn't, I've never, ever, don't know about you, maybe, but being a footballer, I never came out of football. That's the one place I've never had to come out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess so and I think I think it's also a testament that we play with such like a lovely bunch of girls as well and it's yeah. actually I think it's like a really nice atmosphere maybe that would be different at different clubs I think we do have to give credit to all the wonderful people we played or play or used to play football with pre-covid you you wasn't like I don't know about you but in that football group I don't feel like the odd one out yeah we're all just the same it's like don't get me wrong it's not all just we're not all gay it's a mixture you know you feel like you don't feel like a minority yeah like, you don't feel a like minority you're, you're in a group with other women you're in a group with other gay women um it's it's a, it's a diverse like mixed group you can be your complete self everyone just accepts who everyone for who they are who they're dating yeah I like it I think it was so easy it's kind of like how I imagine the future where people don't have to come out um, yeah yeah so I think I think football like opens all these doors for you and another door is meeting you and now we're doing this podcast no exactly yeah and now we're in another community the football community the WSL community yeah, the WSL fan slash podcast community. And interestingly, there's a similarity that we found. Yes. It's very inclusive. It's very gay friendly. So when we become football fans, that's when I realised that it was like our little community of our own little football team wasn't just us. It's everywhere in the fo- women's football world. Yeah. Like it's not just fans you know who are open with their sexuality there are managers in the WSL who are openly out there are players who are out you know there are coaches it's all over the place yeah you think that's another reason why you never really got into men's football like the the common denominator in both men's and women's football is football like you love them both we love playing both but like neither of us really got into men's football and I think that must be one of the reasons why because like women's football, you have that representation. You can see people like yourself. It's more inclusive. You don't have that fear of coming out. Yeah, no, I, I, to be honest, like men's football, I've never seen as inclusive. I've actually always seen it as like um, yeah, a boys club. <laughs> yeah, a bit, of, a bit of a terrifying actually. If you don't fit in, if you, if you don't act a certain way, you know, you're not supposed to be there. Like, I can't imagine ever. I don't know if you and me went just the two of us I would feel completely out of place yeah I feel intimidated which is yeah such a shame it just has this different yeah and it is a yeah, shame. environment to women's football and like like we said in the last episode there's no out gay men's footballers in like the top four men's football leagues and like you do the math that that's not possible there are there must be if like one in 10 people are gay, then there must be loads. But there's there's reasons why they're not coming out. And there's reasons why they are coming out on women's football. And that's actually brings me to the next one I want to quickly talk to you about, Emmy. Like, yeah, so women footballers, I when I was doing my research into this, I don't feel like women footballers in this day and age are publicly coming out. Like we we know, and a lot of the fans listening right now of women's football will know a lot of um, players who are gay, but aren't 
in a way publicly out like they'll post some things on Instagram but it's never spoken about it It never makes headlines like xyz has just come out Mm. so I really feel like in the women's game it's not a thing that they have to do does that make sense like it's yeah like when I think back to women's footballers who have come out they've always been a bit older and maybe like that that younger generation that's coming up and yeah, we we know they're gay. Like we know Daniel van der Donk is with Beth Me, but I don't think either of them have publicly come out. They just it's on their up. social media. It's, yeah, they do TikTok dances together, or they're on. Yeah, whereas I did hear some news about some older footballers, Ali Craiger and Ashlyn Harris. Ali is a defender, and Ashlyn is a goalkeeper. They play for Orlando Pride, and they've both both played for the USA team and have won two World Cups. So pretty good. Cap- trophy collection anyway they both came out last year mm-hmm. and so what like publicly out yeah like, pub- like, publicly news. out yeah there was like speculation but they never really addressed it and I guess they felt they needed to address it and come up properly um and and their wedding was actually featured in Vogue which I kind of missed but it was like it sounded like a really cool wedding like oh I share some of the photos on Twitter because it looks there's like a rainbow cake oh wow. uh, yeah there's um their tables are named after other gay pit pioneers, such as like Billie Jean King. Um, Rapino was Harris's maid of honor. So it looks like a Ooh. really fun wedding yeah, to yeah. be at. Um, and then, yeah, so they came out and, and they said it was really important that they, sh- they showed the representation of like a gay wedding. And that's why they did it with Vogue. And they said it was a very public but they knew that it had to be public to get people's like mindsets changed or get people to see gay weddings. And they, and, and they didn't, they said, that's what, that's why they did it. Like they knew it was, there was, it was going to be a public wedding, but that's why they did it. But the thing I actually wanted to talk about was a tweet that came out recently from the U S soccer's Twitter account. Cause they tweeted a picture of Ali and Ashlyn with a itty witty baby. Oh, they've had a baby. They had a baby, yeah. So uh, they, they adopted their baby. And again, they've been really public about it, which I think is so great because it, it just like makes it more normal to see this, to see like gay couples adopting children or having children. I think it, it does so much and they're like using their platform to do this. And it's it's so cool that the US soccer team tweeted that. No, no. Yeah, the fact that the US team, national team, it came from their Twitter account. So yeah. they're supporting it as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Their own national team is supporting it. It's not been hidden hidden away. It's not just them putting it on a tweet. It's it's public. Yeah, coming out, isn't it? To their yeah. fans. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All the US fans. So they tweeted, heart so full, and then some heart emojis. Congrats, Ali and Ashlyn, and welcome to the family Sloan, which is the name of the little witty baby. No, that's that is a that's just amazing because it's just making it the norm. Yeah, exactly. And they also put something on Instagram and they said like a really nice message about um, how how they promised that Sloane, the baby, would be loved every single day and um, how they want her to have a happy life and and, and that and they're like a really like kind of like personal touch and what, what they were doing. And I read this interview with them on The Telegraph that where they said like, they they really felt there was importance and visibility in our community and that's why they went public with the wedding. So I can guess the same why they've gone so public with the adoption of their baby. 
Um, what I also found interesting, and this, I think this kind of reflects them being a bit older because they're both like 34, 35. Um, but they also said in this interview, when we were younger, we were afraid to lose our jobs, sponsorships, and we weren't sure how our team, coaches, staff and, and administration were going to react. So that was one of the reasons why they didn't come out before. And I reckon that, you know, so much has changed in like the last, we were just saying the last 10 years, but I also think in the last five years, um, that yeah, the world hopefully is a bit more of an inclusive place. There's, there's more rights that we got same-sex marriage in 2014. That was only mm-hmm. eight years ago. Well, coming up to eight years ago. Um, so so I, that's why I think maybe some like older footballers or like football coaches have like come out. But like, yeah, like you said, like the younger ones maybe feel that they don't need to interesting actually that you've said that um about the sponsorships and stuff and that's why these usa players didn't want to come out um beforehand because actually i was reading um something by anita sante now anita sante we've mentioned in a previous episodes mm. she's a defender for aston villa and she's uh, she's an advocate for lgbt rights and interestingly she says that even though in the women's game it is very inclusive and if you're in it you know that but she's actually thinking that we're going to start going backwards. I'll just quote her. She says, yes, it's always being considered more inclusive, but with the visibility and interest that comes from commercial sponsorships, TV and media, you see that some girls are more self-aware about their image, personality and persona and the limitations that comes with that of being like part of the LGBT community. So she's saying that because the women's game now is becoming more popular it might actually have a negative effect on um, the, some of the players' um, self-confidence with their sexuality. And they think it might have a negative impact on their future's career. Like, for example, when they finish football and they might want to go back into media or something, it might have a negative effect. And I thought that was really interesting because I never thought that. And I actually mm-hmm. listened to, you know, Chloe Morgan, who you actually met once in a pub. I did meet her in the pub, yeah, goalkeeper for <laughs> Crystal Palace now. Yeah, so... Um, Clay Morgan, she used to be goalkeeper for Tottenham and now she plays for Crystal Palace. She was saying, like, you know, it's really inclusive, but the more popular it gets, she thinks there will be some women who decide not to come out. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's interesting that the US um, have gone a, has gone like a different way, but maybe because they are older, they're just like, oh, screw this. Someone needs to bring out some visibility. Let's do it. Actually, yeah, actually, in the article was as well, I also read that they also felt like it was a good time because um, they hadn't got selected for the US team, so they were like less high-profile than they had been, so maybe that was like another reason. So, yeah, maybe like the more high-profile or the more, like, if women's football grows bigger, the more pressure and spotlight that's on you, that maybe that will have a negative effect that people don't feel like they they can come out, which is just another reason why we really need to push like inclusion in football, men and women's football, and changing those mindsets. And actually, like I said, like I don't know about you, but when I did my research into this, the only person I was about like who has publicly come out was Casey Stoney and she was like the first um, highest profile gay footballer to come out and that was 2014 
And it was a big decision for her to come out, but she came out because she wanted visibility to be there. She mm. wanted to show people that, you know, you can be a gay footballer in women's football. Even though it was known in the inside world of women's football teammates, she just wanted the outside. Yeah. And she only really did it because of the reception that Tom Daly got, who's the um, diver who has such a good reception. Mm. Um, but that was 2014. Now, when you look since... I've not seen any headlines about a woman's footballer coming out. The only one that I remember is the one you talked about in the last episode about Ericsson. Yeah, about Penilla Harder and Eric Megda Ericsson, who did that famous World Cup kiss in the last World Cup. We spoke about this last episode, I did put a picture up. But yeah, they had this kiss. And yeah, they didn't really come out, but they had this like kiss after winning the game, the most natural thing in the world, just like going kiss your partner, you've done amazingly well. And this went viral. And... I think they hadn't quite realised they were role models. That's what they were saying until they did this. It had such res- support and people inundating them with, like, it was so good to see the representation that they have both come out and stepped up their game and taken that platform to, to, to the point where this weekend, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. So did you see it? I saw it and, I, oh, my God, I love them. Oh, good, yeah. One, read it out. I actually, I retweeted it actually just earlier. Oh, good. Um, but, um, read it out. Yeah, so Hardera and Ericsson, they both got to Twitter on Valentine's Day on Sunday and they just put a message out saying that, well, actually, I'll read out Harder's. So she, her, her, this is her one. She said, I'm lucky to have a family who was nothing but happy for me when I came out seven years ago. I know a lot of people are struggling to tell their friends and families they are gay, which must be the worst feeling I can imagine. To come out should feel natural to anybody and likewise be accepted by everyone. For the next hours, and then she added Magda Erickson, oh, and I will open our DMs for anyone who struggles to come out, want to know about our, our experiences, or just look for a good advice on Valentine's Day. So Magda, she did something similar. And that's so nice that they're really using their platform. Literally. And on Valentine's Day, I, I absolutely love them for that. Like these two women who I don't think realise that, you know, from that kiss, this was all going to happen. But they now know that they've become these role models for so many young people, even our generation, older generation. And it's so nice to see these two strong women, you know, just being so great, really. And um, I don't know if you saw... Like obviously this was on this one on Twitter, so obviously they're gonna get some not very nice comments. Mm-hmm. And one person said, Absolutely rubbish. I am out of here and just you just lost a fan. And um Penilla Hard just responded, See ya, don't want fans like you anyway. <laughs> so good. No, I thought that was great. Like Yeah. And it's true, you don't you don't want fans like that. No, you ones. don't. Yeah. So yeah, so Ericsson, like, you know, and Penilla Hard have done amazing things for the LGBT community. But I thought it was interesting. I read an article where um, Ericsson made a comment about um, her experience of, you know, being out there now and being a role model. And she says, I wouldn't have, have got, I wouldn't have gotten the same reaction if I didn't have long blonde hair. And she thinks that her acceptance comes a lot with their appearance, her and her mm-hmm. girlfriend's, Penilla Hardy's appearance, and why a lot of people are okay with it because it can be marketed. She's feminine. There's mm. not that LGBT stereotype attached to it. And she actually said, like, she can when she compares herself to her international teammate, Nila Fisher, she says she has received, like, large amounts of views and her gender rep- um, representation is more masculine. So it's interesting there, and I think that's where, you know, the unfairness, you know, in the LGBT community, like, what's accepted in this 
you know heteronormative society like if you if you look feminine you get away with it you know just Uh, yeah no I I think that's a really good point and I think I think that's it comes with yeah like being like femme presenting or or like um yeah how you how you present yourself and and that kind of reminds me of uh this was last year when the Island women's rugby team, they launched a new Island women's rugby team kit, but instead of using the actual team, they use models. So what? Yeah. So normally they use like the players to like launch the kit. Yeah. Um, and in this scenario, they use models like so who didn't look like rugby players. That is absolutely yeah. shocking. That's dreadful. So That's so bad. I know. Like if you supported the team, then yeah, you're support yeah, you're supporting that team. You're not supporting the, the kit they're wearing. Uh, yeah, really, it really baffled me. So it did get a lot of shout out uh, on social media about it. People were um, really outraged by it. But yeah, I think I think that is true. Um, I guess I guess with sport, is there? it's it's like marketable it makes it makes money that's a lot of reason why things are the way they are in football all because of money so yeah it's a, it's a shame so it'll be interesting won't it as as women's football becomes more popular how you know how the lgbt community within the women's football will be like do you know what i mean like will women start not coming out will women not put things on their social media or will it be a bit more hush hush i don't know I don't know. I, I, I like to think like the roots of women's football have always involved like the LGBT community. Like we spoke about Lily Parr in the last episode. She was an out women footballer in like 1920. The, and, and I think it's interesting, like there are so many out female footballers or gay female footballers and there are men's. But maybe because, is it because that women's football was so taboo? So if you're already a bit taboo anyway for being gay, perhaps you're just like... Yeah. Or is it because there's been other gay footballers that attract you to it? And that just kind of makes me think about, like, Rapino's quote at the last World Cup where she said that you can't win a championship without gays on your team. That's science right there. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Yeah, do you remember no, she said uh, that? Yeah. No, I think you're right, Amy, actually. I don't think the lesbians are going anywhere. <laughs> we're not going or the anywhere. bisexuals in the game yeah um one of the reasons that we where we fell in love with supporting women's football as well as playing it was because we found it so inclusive and we could see that representation and it was just like really cool and nice and you know was, we could get to games and meet players so yeah I, I'm really interested to see where women's football does go no yeah it'll be really interesting to see women's football goes but um I think they are doing the right things like you know they are advocating that it is visible there's like say this managers this coaches you know who are publicly out you know you've got Hope Powell um who's out and she came out and I think was it the 90s when she got the England management um job yeah well I I think she said that the reason why she came out was because she knew it would come out eventually if not from her and she wanted to be the person to tell that story rather than someone else use it against her and that's that's quite interesting like we were just saying how there's been gay people in women's football for a very long time like in Hope Powell's time when she was playing football that's one of the questions that you asked her about how when she was playing football in the 80s and 90s how was the space then did it feel inclusive and this is what she had to say 
Um, I, I, I started playing in organised football when I was 11, um, which at the time, no, I didn't, didn't discuss it, but you grow up with, with girls of your same age and then everybody's thinking and having these feelings that are a little bit alien, I guess. Um, but I think the fact that we were all going through the same thing at the same time probably made it easier within that group. It, it, it wasn't as openly spoken about as it is now. So did you find, did you find though playing football, it was that kind of safe space that you could be yeah. open? Yeah. yeah, a bit more yourself, a bit more um, honest. Um, yeah, because you, you, you know, you very quickly work out that, that, that other people have these feelings and, you know, you, you generally feel in a safe space. Um, and, and that's probably, you, you know, you have to go through that whole thing with your parents, your family, which is challenging. I think it's a lot easier today because it's more acceptable. And I think, again, from a West Indian culture, it's very different. Um, and I think that's why, when, certainly when I, got, when I got the England job, I was very open about it because I thought, if I'm not open, this is going to come out. So I've just got to, from day one, you know, my partner's name is, you know. Yeah. So, and I, and I actually think it's um, a lot easier for, for young girls, women today, to be who they feel they want to be. Because I actually feel in our football team, Emmy, you don't really have to come out and it's exactly. the nicest place mm. to be. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's also interesting how like, that differs from men's football when there's so many women professional football players who are out, but in the men's game, that's still not there yet. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, I, I would... I would hate to for, for anyone if, in the men's game if, if they if they are gay to feel pressured in the fact that they have to come out. Why should they have to? Yep. You know, because you know, and also they've got probably a crowd of fifty thousand or half of that thirty thousand opposition fans who are going to use that against them. Why would you want to subject yourself to that? Don't blame them. To be yep. honest. So as you can see, like you know. Lesbians have been in football for decades and it is inclusive and it is accepting and it's going to carry on, Emmy, and people are going to come out and it might not be publicly for now. It might just be on social media, but maybe when the women's game becomes more popular, they will become out more publicly and just like Penelope and um, Magdalena Erickson is. Here's a, here's a question for you. Here's a big old juicy question do you think if there are gay footballers in men and women's football that they should be coming out that they should be re representing themselves representing their community do you think it's their duty to do that how do you feel about that I don't think it's their duty no I um I'm actually quite mixed about it to be honest it's such I think because we're both gay ourselves I think it's such a personal thing that I don't think it should be their responsibility to come out if they don't feel safe enough to come out because we don't know what their um, situation is behind closed doors. You know, we don't know how hard it is for them to even accept themselves as being gay to how their family and friends are. So I don't actually think it's the responsibility of the player to come out if they don't want to. I understand if one, if a man did come out in football, it 
it might be the most amazing thing to happen and the visibility there will change so many boys lives but maybe the time right now isn't there and maybe it's not their responsibility you know it's the FA's responsibility to get it right it's the manager's responsibility it's the team's responsibility once we make people feel safe then maybe they'll come out what do you think I also think as well it's the fans responsibility like yes, fans completely fans calling out other fans like if they can I know it's intimidating but I think or like fans calling out friends like that's not okay to say that that jeer is not okay I think that's also really important I think there's responsibility to the fans not to enforce like homosexuality language or chanting like guys it's not cool anymore you know no I don't, I don't it's damaging and did you did you see actually there was um an unnamed Premier League footballer who wrote an open letter who like but obviously they're unnamed so no one knows who it is. When was it? Um I think it was last year. Oh, okay. But it's really sad the letter and like and he says it's an absolute nightmare and it's affecting my mental health more and more because he can't be openly gay in his own job. Mm. And he goes, and what he thinks, he goes, it's not, I don't think, from what his letter says, it's like, he's not ready to come out because he doesn't feel safe to come out. And he says, yeah. and he goes, those running the game need to educate fans, players, managers, agents, club owners, basically everyone involved in the game. So it all goes back down to education. And interestingly, um, Anita Sante says the same thing. She thinks it's the younger generation that will make the change. It is them that need to be educated and it's just education, education, education. Which goes back to what I was saying earlier about section 28. Yes, that's section circle. 28. Yeah, like hindering hindering generations of people. Like we've only got uh, education about LGBT representation in schools. I think 2019, I think that's still like a work in progress. So yeah, yeah I think you're right. It does, come, it does come back to education. I, I also think as well, like for any allies out there, like allyship is so important for creating an inclusive space. Like you may be able to speak out where other people feel too intimidated to speak out. And I was thinking about, yeah, how can we improve like men's football, like diversity and inclusion in men's football, people coming out in men's football. And I think like allyship is so important. And it kind of reminds me what you were saying last episode, Amelia, about how the Pride bus in Brighton had the Premiership Pride bus and there was no one on it. But so sad. But like allies need to come out. Like I feel like they can be in a safer space, especially if you're like a top footballer and like you're married with like a like to a woman. Like no one's gonna yeah yeah it's those type it's those people in the game that need to be writing the messages it's not all down to to the gay people basically yeah yeah involved in the lgbt community yeah like like i like i like i would hate to make anyone do anything that they they don't want to do and so i think i'm a similar opinion to you that i think it's really important that gay players come out that they show the representation they have this platform and they use it like we have seen with harder and ericsson and Craigair and Harris and Rapino in the women's game, like that stuns it so much for like me, and I'm quite comfortable being out. But like for people who are really struggling, it must be amazing. And so I do think that that there needs to be that in men's football. But yeah, like it, it I think it can be a toxic environment, and there's lots of reasons why someone wouldn't come out. Um, but I, I'm always a big fan of people using their platform, like 
using their using their voice but i also think yeah as allies you also need to use your platform you also need to use your voice and like say that that that's not okay like and how nice is it isn't it when you have an someone who is an ally and you see they do something it's yeah. it so hard well what woman makes yeah. you feel like I, I belong I'm normal yeah it just feels like someone's someone's got you back your back and I think like yeah if, you, if you're looking to become a better ally yeah just just like hearing about other people's experiences learning educating yourself taking part in LGBT plus history month that's all steps that you can do to be a better ally and I think yeah allies like are so important um yeah <laughs> Another thing I thought was quite interesting that I was exploring about how we can improve inclusion in men's football in particular. And I was thinking about tournaments, like major tournaments, and why are they being hosted in like caragotically homophobic countries? So like the last World Cup was in Russia. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. Yeah, it just, like, It's just complete lack of respect, isn't it? And so if, like, football wants to do better, they shouldn't be agreeing to have it in these countries. So the next one in 2022, if it goes ahead, is in Qatar. And someone in Qatar... It's, it's illegal. It's illegal, yeah, isn't it? exactly. It's illegal with a punishment up to three years in pres- prison and a fine for consenting males and could lead to the death penalty for Muslims. So how awful, like, if you are a gay player and you're going there, must you feel like... Yeah, you go to somewhere it's illegal to be you. Yeah, you don't want to go there. No, uh, and it's, it, yeah, I don't know if you're about to say this, but well, you're about to say it's all to do with money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the taste of football I hate, especially. When, and I think you see it so much more in men's football. But that's what yes. I hate for something that started off as such like a humble sport, like working class sport, and they've just so much money it makes decisions in it how they exploit like fans for like going season tickets or the money the players get paid or so all the money in it that that's what really leaves that's, a sour taste in my mouth and you know what maybe if you take the money away like if they didn't get paid that much maybe football would be a nicer place yeah yeah football is made for, actually money has made football corrupt yeah you heard it here first <laughs> so so yeah, why are we having these tournaments where homosexuality is illegal? It's worrying. It's excluding the players. It's excluding the LGBTQ plus fans of the sport. And I think it makes it harder for footballers to come out. We must talk about the trans community and trans football players in this podcast because it's part of the LGBT um, umbrella. So I just want to read out what the FA says in about their policy towards the LGBT community. And they say an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity should never be a barrier to participating in and enjoying a national sport. So that's actually fantastic that that's out there and it's part of their policy. Yeah. But I don't know about you, Amy, but I feel like trans women in the game in the football game is not really spoken about or have you ever heard any trans women in the women's game no 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 that I've played football of um no no that I've um yeah that I play football uh interestingly there were a few trans players when I used to play Quidditch oh really oh, that's yeah great. um but also I really wanted to join this football club 
a football not a football club football group in um that played in victoria park in east london called uh queer east so and i was looking to join them but then like covid kicked in but uh, they had like a, it was a bit more casual than what we play, more of a kickabout. But they say they describe themselves as a friendly kickabout for and by self-identified queer, lesbian, bi, and trans women, trans men, non-binary, and intersex people. In brackets, cis guys. Sorry, this one's not for you. That is, but that's so good. It's out there, literally saying you are welcome. That you know, yeah. You know what I mean, it's. I think that's really good because sometimes when you just say this is the football team, you don't know if like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to be open and inclusive. Yeah, this but, one straight away, you know, yeah. so you're going to be accepted no matter what. Anyway, go back to what you were saying. No, but the um, the only um, trans woman that I did find in um, professional women's football was um, Sammy Walker. Now she signed for a club in the Women's National League South, that which is the third tier of English women's football. And I really recommend in um, searching on the internet. She's called Sammy Walker, and she just she's lots of articles about her story and what she went through. Um, as a trans woman trying to get into football and I think it's just for me it just educated me a bit more um, so definitely like I say um, check her out she's called Sammy Walker and interestingly in one of the articles she said I wasn't aware of anyone like me when I was younger and so never thought it was possible if I can be that person to someone else just by being visible it's so good that she, you know she's come out with her story like she's being visible for other trans women out there who may not think that football can be a sport for them but she's Mm. saying look I did it you can do it too and then this also brings me on to my next person that I want to talk about and she's called Natalie Washington now she plays grass grassroots football and I really recommend that you listen to podcasts called LGBT sport podcast and it's called the one with Natalie Washington. She just talks about how when she was growing up, there wasn't any representation. She didn't think football was a place she could be as a trans woman, mm. but she has done it. She's, you know, she's absolutely loving football. She's been completely accepted by the team. She does say in the podcast, you know, that she has had some opposition who haven't been nice. Mm. But if you listen to her story, you kind of get a bit more understanding. You, you, you know, and it's again, you're just educating yourself. Like, because I think interestingly in that podcast, they said that a lot of people talk about the trans community, but rather than talking with the trans community. I see, and yeah. I think that's so true. Like in the news last year, you know, there's been so much about the trans community. Yeah. It's always by people who aren't trans. And so I really recommend, um, like I say, it's called The One with Natalie Washington by the LGBT Sport Podcast. And you can follow um, Natalie on Twitter. Her um, handle is at trans something. But yeah, definitely recommend um, yeah. um, listening to that podcast and checking out um, Sammy Walker. Yeah, yeah. And what you were saying, uh, like trans rights in the news has, has been so under questioned um, in, in the in news lately and so, so attacked. Like we were saying about better allies, it's really important to hear these stories and hear these different perspectives. So thank you for that recommendation. I would definitely be checking that out. No problemo. And um, guys, we're just going to do some shout outs to some accounts and um, that you should follow uh, and some charities. So for example, we've got um, Football versus Homophobia and Football versus Transphobia. You should check those out. Also Soho FC. Now Soho FC, um, the, they were the football club that Sammy Walker joined. A bit like the one that you mentioned, is what's it called? Queerness? Queer Space East. Sorry, Queer Space East. So Soho FC is very inclusive. Oh, nice. She joined 
she joined that club and she just felt like, oh, it was the best finish. Didn't think again that she had a relationship with football, but joining that club, she felt completely accepted. And um, we've also got pride in football, um, gendered intelligence. I actually volunteered at gendered intelligence. Anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, nutmegs, the flying bats and dyke soccer. And, and also you can always check out um, the FM football podcast. Oh yeah, the FM football podcast. Yeah. And if you like, you can leave them a five-star review. Yes. So, Emmy, that was actually more complex than I thought this episode was going to be. I thought it was going to be quite simple. Like, oh, yeah, the women, women's game, it's more inclusive. Men's game, it's not so inclusive. Why are men not out? You know, just come out so easy to. But actually, there's so many layers to coming out. You know, we know that. Like, it's hard to do ourselves every day. Like, even to the shopkeeper down the road, I have to come out in. <laughs> story. Um, a bit awkward, but what you, you, you come <laughs> out. lie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you, you have to come out again and again. It's just not a one-time thing, is it? And no. I thought this has been a very interesting evening talking about this. I think we could, I think we could go on for hours, really. Yeah. Um, but I'm pleased that we've made this month all about LGBT history and education. Um, it's important to keep the conversation going. So, but, but just remember, guys, it's all about education. Once the society gets educated, it'll be more inclusive, and everyone will be more happier. Don't be threatened by the homosexuals and the trans community mm-hmm. and anyone else under the umbrella of LGBT+. Plus. Mm. Yeah, so thank you for listening. Feel free to tweet us what you thought of this episode, what you enjoyed. If, if you, you agree think, or disagree. If you think that me and Amelia should do a queer pop culture podcast about films and TV, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah, let us know. <laughs> I'm trying to persuade Amelia. She's not, she's not too keen. Not sold on the idea yet. If we get two people, I'll do it. <laughs> two listeners. Just tweet us that you want to hear this podcast. I've got a really funny name for it. <laughs> <laughs> she has. She's done the logo. <laughs> so if you want to hear a gay pop culture podcast by us, let us know. I mean, all we need is two people. Yeah, I'll do it if you get two people. We'll wait. We'll, we'll, we will see. <laughs> and our handles are at F underscore in underscore football on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to F off now, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Be an ally. (laughs) If you're homophobic, please stop listening. (laughs) Or just go read a book and educate yourself. Oh, yeah. So carry on listening and educate yourself, actually. (laughs) Yeah.